I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, depending on where you live and which bridges you normally travel over, you may have noticed the vast bloom of algae that has since late July spread through San Francisco Bay, turning the bay and waterways connected to it to an alarming shade of brown. The bloom was first spotted in the Alameda Estuary and now appears to be all over the place, including in San Pablo Bay, north of the Richmond Bridge. It's prompting mass die-offs of fish, including in Oakland's Lake Merritt, where the banks have been covered in them and the smell has been, well, about what you'd expect. In some places, sharks, sturgeon, and striped bass appear to have been among the victims. And while the algae is not as much of a problem for humans, the bloom's intensity is leading some environmental groups to advise people to avoid long contact with the water. So what caused the bloom, and what do we do about it? My guests today to talk about it are Dave Sen, a senior scientist at the San Francisco Estuary Institute, and Keith Baumagregson, a biologist at the U.S. Geological Survey's California Water Science Center. Dave and Keith, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Dave, I want to start with you. How did this bloom begin, and what triggered it? Well, we first started hearing about it through various news reports, and uh, our collaborators and colleagues at Baykeeper notified us about this. And we began tracking it while it was still in the Alameda Estuary. And shortly after, started noticing that tracking it via remote sense images and saw it, it winding its way out into San Francisco Bay. And it was around that time that Keith and I, along with our colleagues, deci- decided it was we needed to mobilize to get out there and monitor and, and track the bloom, watch how it moved throughout the system. Um, the The organism is called something called Heterosigma akashiwo. It's an organism that's been observed in San Francisco Bay over time. Um, periodically, 60% of the time we detected in samples around Central Bay, but it's often at very background levels. Um, and so kind of it, one of the ways I guess we could think about this, not to diminish the um, importance of it, but sort of like a weed growing in a garden, that the if you what it needs is it needs light, and it needs nutrients, nitrogen and phosphorus. And in this system, San Francisco Bay, to get light, it needs to be near the surface. And it also needs to have relatively low turbidity or let, not a lot of sediments to allow it to access that light and grow. That other key ingredient is the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus in the system. And we know that San Francisco Bay is enriched with those two fertilizers that allow for um, exactly the fertilizers you would put in your garden, but also that allow the organism to, to take up nitrogen and phosphorus and prosper and grow. So the, the, the nutrients have always been there at, at these relatively high levels. The organism has been there. And what actually triggered it this year during that on these days to actually take off as a bit of a mystery and something that we're chasing and trying to understand. Keith, I want to, to get into more about what this algae is and how it spreads, but also just just on an overall level. Is this Is this an emergency? Is it a crisis? Or is it something that's fairly natural in our in our bay region yeah well this is uh this is quite unusual um it is it is uncommon for us to have a bloom of phytoplankton this large in the bay um and by large i mean both um particularly the expanse of it uh um, phytoplankton blooms in a lot of contexts can be be quite beneficial um some organisms are wonderful fish food and so there's a lot of fish out there that are depending on phytoplankton and algae so they can grow and then that supports bigger and bigger fish and a lot of the animals that um, we enjoy seeing such as salmon or sea lions however you can get situations like dave just described where you get more of a weedier or a nuisance or a less beneficial uh algae that that takes over and so it's um it's very complex 
about what can trigger an organism to go from that background concentration to suddenly um, becoming the dominant dominant weed. But um, that doesn't often happen in, uh, in San Francisco Bay, and uh, we don't see that happening frequently with this organism. So we have um, a lot of questions. I mean, I think I saw the word unprecedented. I mean, have we seen this before in the Bay, or is this something brand new? Well, the organism itself is, is not brand new. Uh, it was first detected in the Bay, in Richardson Bay, in, in 2002, and it has been seen subsequently throughout the system periodically. But one of the things that's quite distinct about this event is the amount of, of the organism or the, the biomass of it that's accumulating and the spread of it throughout South Bay, for example, which is the place that we've been observing it um, most intensively over the last several weeks. The high abundance of the organism during the summer months and the the fact that it's now distributed, or we believe it's distributed throughout most of South Bay, is the other unprecedented aspect of it. Keith, also, I mean, is it related to climate change? I mean, we people always want to know about, obviously, there's a big heat wave coming up in the Bay Area. People want to know. And they also want to know whether it has to do with the drought. We've had, obviously, uh, difficulty with uh, having enough water to run down our, our streams and rivers, not flushing out the Delta, not flushing out the Bay. I mean, what is it related to either of those two factors? Yeah, that's a that's a hard question to answer. And uh, this bloom is is for me a bit of a head scratcher. Um, you mentioned that heat wave coming up. I've I've seen that too. And um, there's been some of the previous blooms in the past in the bay um, have been smaller in scale and shorter in timeline and have been more closely associated with following a heat wave. However, um, we didn't we didn't have an unprecedented heat wave in July when this this bloom kicked off. So. Um, we need to dig a little bit deeper to really fully understand um, if there was some other sort of anomaly or, or difference in what the climate or the weather was doing in July that, that maybe we haven't thought of yet. So um, another f- factor that impacts the bay is what's going on on the coastal ocean and how um, ocean temperatures and how the water from, um, from offshore is moving into the bay and what types of uh, organisms or nutrients that's delivering as well. And again, those are quite complex interactions. Those have to do with the way that the winds are moving off of shore and um, high pressure, low pressure in the atmosphere. And so being in an estuary, estuaries are very complicated places because they're receiving the fresh water from rivers. So you've got all the upstream hydrology and, and land use and climate impacts. And then you also have what's going on in the ocean and they all meet in the estuary, which which makes it quite complex to um, to really tease out one particular causative mechanism. What really seemed to surprise people was the fish die-offs and particularly in Lake Merritt because it's pretty small. And and I think, I think Dave, it was a, a picture from you uh, of the banks just covered in the bodies of fish. I mean, what is going on there? Yeah, that was, we, we got, we received reports about that yesterday morning and headed out there to have a look. And that was quite shocking to see the large, extremely large numbers of small dead fish sprinkled along the edges, as well as deeper into the waters. Well, Lake Merritt is connected to San Francisco Bay. And over the prior weeks, it's experienced some of the same bloom. And one of the possibilities is that the, well, there's two, two major possibilities that, that we're, that we're following up up on related to the ways that there could be impacts on marine life. And one of them is toxic effects from the organism itself. And we, from other studies and other systems, it's known that this organism does exert toxicity or does have toxic impacts on fish, but the exact mechanism is not well understood. Um, there's a second, though, piece of this story that's important, 
and it will continue being important over the coming weeks, is that the high, the, the, the really high amount of production from this organism, the amount of, of it that accumulates, when that material then starts to die and decay, it consumes oxygen. And it can then lead to low dissolved oxygen, which can lead to fish kills. As we and um, from some limited information, I would say that the information is really still evolving, or in terms of what we what we know and understand. But we did receive some reports that oxygen levels in Lake Merritt were detected as being very low yesterday, and so that's one possibility: is that the fish there um, suffered from not being able to receive enough oxygen. Um, in the bay, we're concerned about a similar issue. Um, both currently, but also over time, as I was mentioning before about the, the size of this event, having so much biomass covering so much of the system um, ha has the potential to lead to that same effect where that material eventually dies and decays and potentially drags down the dissolved oxygen levels. All right. I want to ask you guys more about the fish die-offs, why they're important, and also why it's important for people that are out there to actually report when they see the carcasses of, of dead fish. But first, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back on Fifth and Mission. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. Joined by Dave Sen, a senior scientist at the San Francisco Estuary Institute, and Keith Bauma-Gregson. He's a biologist at the U.S. Geological Survey. We're talking about the big algae bloom that's in the San Francisco Bay, and it's been killing fish there and in Lake Merritt. Uh, Dave, I want to go back to you. I mean, you've been asking people to report fish die-offs that they actually see. What, why is that important? Well, it's one of the ways that we are really able to assess the the impacts that this event has over time. As of last Monday, we hadn't yet received any reports of, of fish kills or fish mortality in the bay. And then they started gradually rolling in as early as Monday or Tuesday. And so the being able to mobilize to get out there and, and monitor for, for, for dead fish around the bay's margins, the really long coastline or out in the bay's waters, it, it would be it would be an enormous undertaking for any individual scientific team to track that or any of the state agencies for that matter. And so um, we wanted to at least when we thought that the weekend was coming up, more people out on the water, more people using the bay's margins to, to ask them to be reporting this so that we could have a full picture, adding that to what the agencies and other science groups follow up to pursue. So is there a particular place that people should make those reports? Yes, please. If you come across any dead fish while out on the bay or along the margins, uh, please report that at the link sfei.org backslash fish observations. All right. So, Keith, what about human beings in the water? We know that not everyone is staying out of the bay. There's people that, that swim in the bay. There's people that do all sorts of things. What, what should they know? Yeah, so... Uh as Dave mentioned, this this organism is primarily uh, associated with, with fish toxicity. The um, impacts to humans haven't been um, as strongly associated as as with other types of harmful algae that can bloom. However, um, the public health guidance does suggest that you avoid discolored water, and in general, that's um, that's good safe safe practice when you're out out in the environment is uh, avoiding water that looks particularly scummy or discolored. Um, there um, can be uh, Reports and associations of, of skin irritation or rashes that that um, develop when you have a lot of uh, algal biomass in the water. 
And I imagine dogs, too, in, in a place like Lake Merritt. Uh, yes. Keith, what about the future? I mean, when will this pass? Is this something that's going to be with us for weeks or even months? Yeah, so blooms uh, can be quite uh, ephemeral and dynamic. They can they can bloom and bust. Uh, and um, this one has now been with us for about, about a month. Um, and look at the other literature. It seems like blooms on the order of weeks have been documented elsewhere from this organism. Um, things that can cause a bloom to end are it can um, run out of nutrients or other um, molecules or food or energy that, that sustain all that biomass, and then the cells will start to die. Uh, you, there's also um, uh, viruses that can infect these organisms. So you might even on the on the microbial scale, you could have effectively like an infection sweep through a bloom and cause it to die. Uh, when that might happen is is hard to predict. Um, and then also the environmental conditions can change. And so um, if we start to see shifts in our, our um, temperature or like I mentioned, um, ocean upwelling or ocean conditions and what's coming into the bay, something like that could also um, trigger a shift. But uh, we're still quite a ways off from our winter rains. We still have many more weeks of that. Um, we're, we sort of enter now some of our warmer times of the year. So it's hard to say exactly when this will end, but um, we also don't have necessarily a major uh, event like a big rainstorm or something coming down the pipe um, anytime soon either. However, we do expect... Um, these blooms to decrease seasonally. And so as uh, days shorten in the winter and we get more rain, cooler temperatures, we generally see phytoplankton biomass decrease in the winter months. And so hopefully by then this this bloom would, would be over. One of the things that we would expect that would influence the, the spread and the duration of the, a bloom like this is the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus in the water. And you might think that as it burns out that that resource, that that would lead to it to its its demise. However, from some of the work we were doing last week, um, we're finding high levels of the of the organism, high, high abundances of the organism in South Bay, and also relatively low levels of the of, of the nutrients that they might need. And so the there is a, again a little bit of a mystery there as to how it's actually sustaining itself um, in, when when it's getting close to running out of some of its critical resources. So. But that could be yet another factor that would slow its spread down. I wanted to ask you guys, I, I see during these algae events, particularly in the, uh, in the Delta, you see a lot of companies that are advertising treatments uh, for lakes and ponds, sometimes you know, for people's docks, for even their private sort of pool or, or private lake. Is there anything here in terms of an additive uh, for a th- something like Lake Merritt or the Bay? A lot of the, the blooms that occur in the delta and in our freshwater uh, environments are, are from quite a different organism. Those tend to be caused by cyanobacteria, which is actually a type of bacteria. Um, so very differently related to, uh, to these, these algae that are blooming in the coastal environment. And uh, due to the scale of the water bodies and um, the size of um, the amount of water that you would need to treat, there's, um, there's very few or not, not really any treatments for um, these, these types of coastal or estuarine Dave, I think a lot of people are going to wonder whether this was some sort of pollution event that could have caused this and and which would obviously be even more alarming. Is there any information there? Well, I think it's fair to say that the organism itself is not, because it's been observed in the system regularly, it may not be introduced or caused by, let's say, a pollution event itself. But the, the resources that an organism like that needs to grow is a, is a form of, um, it, there's excess levels of nitrogen and phosphorus in San Francisco Bay, and those excess levels come from a couple key sources. And what, the dominant source, especially in this part of the bay in the summertime, like South Bay, Central Bay, 
comes from treated effluent from wastewater treatment plants that have elevated levels of nitrogen and phosphorus. There's all other sources of nitrogen and phosphorus include flows coming in from the delta, carried in from agricultural uses of fertilizers. And so the abrupt nature with which this organism took off, we don't know if that itself was caused by any sort of introduction, but it was not likely to be a pollution event in itself. But the presence of elevated nutrients in the system are among the things that allowed it to, to prosper. All right, well, let's leave it there. Dave Sen and Keith Bauma-Gregson, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks, Damien. Thanks to my guests today. They are Dave Sen, a senior scientist at the San Francisco Estuary Institute, and Keith Bauma-Gregson, a biologist at the U.S. Geological Survey's California Water Science Center. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.